everyone. Welcome to Alumless. It is Friday at 11.30. My name is Ryan Catherwood. Thanks for tuning in. Here on the show, we talk about engagement strategies in educational advancement, but you probably know that already. Uh, the man there sharing the screen with me is Chris Marshall. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Good morning. Hello, Ryan. Hello, everybody listening. Yeah, good to see you as always. Alumless is a CMAC production we are live today, streaming on both LinkedIn and YouTube. And today is a special episode, a bonus episode. We are excited to have Max Leiston, the founder and CEO of Protopia, joining us. And we're grateful for Max and Protopia's partnership as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, we're going to have a great conversation about AI and advancement today. And if you have any questions, be sure to pose them to myself or to Chris or probably for Max. Uh, but be sure to use the comment section in the LinkedIn event so we will see them here in our StreamYard interface. Of course, we got a 30-minute bonus segment with Max on the podcast edition of Alumless. And you'll want to pick up the podcast edition because we're doing our Friday Cheers segment. We've each come up with a couple of uh, great sort of, you know, when we're at the water cooler or a happy hour, Friday afternoon, talking with colleagues, you know, what are we thinking about? What's important uh, what sort of news stands out in our space and other types of uh, uh, interesting stories that we've found and find interesting. So be sure to check with that and subscribe to us. Chris, uh, you know, we were at the CASE conference, gosh, it's hard to believe it's been about a month ago already. Yeah, the, the conversation about AI was really, really sort of elevated. Um, it had been a topic before. And I think back even years ago when Andrew Gosen at Cornell actually had a summit on AI. And so it's not like higher ed hasn't been sort of thinking about it at all, right? But it's fair to say that it's not exactly been a topic that's been, you know, really prevalent in our discussions until chat GPT. And right. then it's in all of our discussions, right? I mean, I know you and I actually a couple times this week have <laughs> exchanged messages with wow about what, you know, it's able to do and how it's able to be helpful in sort of furthering our thoughts along, which I find really interesting. But I want to sort of just start off the conversation about if you were to summarize the general feeling amongst advancement leaders when it comes to AI, what would that be? Yeah, well, let me go back to a comment made about Andrew at Cornell. That conference was probably eight to 10 years ago. And yeah, just like Andrew, way out ahead of anybody thinking about this stuff uh, on everything he does. So, um, but it's gotten to a point now where in, in a room full of, uh, so Max and I, were, our guests joining us in a bit, Max and I were at the same session at the Case Summit on AI with Brent Grinna and Armin Afsahi were speaking about the topic in, in AI and advancement, basically. And they asked in the room several questions. One of them was about chat. How many of you have experimented or played with chat GPT? And I think out of maybe 200 people in the room, maybe 20 hands went up. So I was estimating about 10%. So, so my continuum on this one is the majority of people haven't really thought about this yet. <laughs> Those that are kind of in the middle of this, I guess the range would be for me, Ryan, would be there are people who it's doom and gloom and the world's going to end if we let this happen <laughs> on one side of it. And the others are, you know, optimistic about what it can do to streamline certain functions that we do and um, how we write uh, letters and, and you name it. That's the talking points for spe introducing speakers and so forth. There's all kinds of examples out there that I think people are excited about potential. But for everyone who's excited about it, 
there's someone who doesn't know anything about it, and there's someone who's saying, "Oh my God, the world's going to end if we let this happen." So, <laughs> I can't wait to hear Max. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's pretty, it's absolutely remarkable. I, I encourage everyone to actually, you know, use ChatGPT a little more often. Ask it more questions when you think, "Oh, let me run that through. Let me ask that question," yeah. or even ask ChatGPT what questions you ought to ask uh, yourself or others in a situation. It's really pretty amazing. And I can imagine how it becomes this really interesting work aid that sort of advances us. But to your point, you know, AI is definitely a little scary and its ability to be that kind of significant yeah, work yeah. aid, I think, is exactly what is kind of, kind of concerning. The, the scary part for me, I, I think I shared this with you, was I was in that session with Brent and Armin and I put into ChatGPT, um, give me a, a approach for doing a strategic plan for a liberal arts college for alumni engagement for a liberal arts college. And it came back with 10 bullet points and nine out of the 10 were dead on. And I was like, Oh God, they don't need me anymore. <laughs> so, but one of the, the one that was weird, was just sort of off base by a bit, but, yeah. but one of the other nine, I think number eight on the list was, Consider hiring an outside consultant to help you with this process. Well, that's good. At least ChatGPT is, you know, yeah, in right. cahoots with us, right? They're not trying right. to put us out of business quite. You got to get them to stay CMAC in there, and then it'll be we're, we'll have it. <laughs> so, I mean, has your mind been changed at all about AI now that you've used ChatGPT? I mean, did you have your own perceptions kind of changed a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah, it has, and and, and I think of it as uh, very much as a starting point. Uh, to put something into chat GPT to get a response and cut and paste it as your actual, your own words. I don't think, well, well I, you might be saying that Brett kept saying this at the conference. He kept saying a statement that you put comma yet, because there's going to come a time where maybe we can do those things. For me, it gives me, it's helped me with uh, a writer's block where I have a hard time getting something started. And I, I put in a thing and I get a response and I put in that first paragraph. I Chris Marshallize it, but it gives me that running start into a project. I use it for developing questions for panels. My, my son recently, my 20-year-old son was having an interview with a marketing VP. He has an internship at Crayola and he says, we have lunch with this marketing VP. What should I ask him? So I put that exactly into uh, ChatGBT and I sent him back a text with eight really good questions. And he was like, he wrote back ChatGBT. <laughs> he knew exactly <laughs> where it was from. So yeah, I think it does, it's a starting point. It's a place to start. It does have a unique sort of like style that you have yeah, to sort of right. say, okay, that's chat that cheap, that's the computer talking. And now yeah. let's let's make it us, the real Humanized humans talking. Yeah. And it's all around us. Like to your that, that thought about you know how things will change. You know, will our kids really ever need to know grammar? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I I, I when I write, it, it corrects my grammar. And as I'm going, you know, my sentence is, it says, do you want to change that to make it better? I'm like, well, yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, and our kids are going to grow up with that as part of their, yeah. it's kind of like cursive, you know, right. <laughs> is grammar the new cursive? Like, well, there's no reason to know cursive anymore. Right. I, I right. don't I don't know. I, so well, let's as the guy who proofreads your writing and vice versa, I know we do this for each other. Um, you, you, you ChatGPT is not cutting it yet because I still have to make changes on your stuff. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think you know we're not gonna. Uh, you got, it's not gonna be completely uh, unhumanized, yeah. I suppose, yeah. eventually. But look, let's bring Max out. Max is the yeah. expert. We're excited to have him. We're going to talk all about AI. Let's click the button, Max. How's it going? Good to see you. Good. Good. Happy Friday. Thanks for having me. And just be clear, I'm not the expert. I don't think. 
there really is any other any AI expert out there that I think that that's a little anxious for people because you can't look to any authoritative source and saying, here's where we're going, right? None of us have any idea. Uh, and, and I was just thinking about, to your point, uh, in that session, if you remember, Brent was talking about the dangers of AI that yeah. one email client, a fundraiser writes an AI email and the, the prospect's email client responds with AI and it'll just fire back and forth and we humans won't be in the middle, right? AI will start making major gift commitments and we won't even right. <laughs> bring new meaning to virtual assistant, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of how our correspondence is managed. But so, Max, I mean, have you always been interested in uh, AI or, or starting a company involving AI? Is, or is that kind of grown as you've been working on Protopia these last few years? Uh, I mean, it, it has has grown, right? I mean, uh, it, all of us were aware of AI. Those of us growing up with Terminator and technology, for me, <laughs> right? And that, that's a bad side of AI, just to make sure. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was always about the problem. I've got a long background in technology, working as a product manager, and it was always, what problem are you looking to solve? And, and to be honest, I want to give credit to Duke, uh, who we had started working with in 2018. It was really more all the things that are broken with this particular area and how do we solve it? And AI was just the natural step to get there and saying, you know, this is the only way you can really do it at scale. And that's the exciting part. So it was not, it was not like, oh, we're going to do something around AI. It was, what is the best technology that we can use right now? Uh, so yeah. that's how we got there. And that makes sense. And solving some of the problems same problems differently, right? Using right. AI as that uh, that difference maker. So speaking of differences, I think the conversation is often about AI, but and then there's this other term, machine learning, that you know we know is similar, but I think most people don't sort of understand what, what the difference is or how they're connected. Um, could you sort of share a little bit about that and you sure. know, examples of technology involving machine learning are Part of our lives. I, I talked about just a minute, like Grammarly, right? Correcting right. grammar or asking Alexa a question, to, telling her to play a song, you know, or things yeah. of that nature is is machine learning. But if you could just sort of share a few thoughts there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in a nutshell, machine learning is a subset of artificial intelligence, right? We, and, and that's the little bit of challenge. Everything is being thrown right now into artificial intelligence. And just so we all know, artificial intelligence or artificial general intelligence doesn't exist yet. When people say AI, it's what I often call the event called singularity. There's an amazing book out there. AI is when a machine behaves like a human uh, and it identifies problems, it discovers problems and solves it. We're not there yet. Machine learning is kind of where we are right now. Uh, you have technology, you throw data at it, it learns from the data and it does things better and faster than you do. Uh, and probably a lot of us remember the days when uh, when chess IBM started beating humans and it got really scary. That was machine learning. That was literally a computer looking at chess moves and results and getting pairs if this then that and at massive volume. And that's machine learning. The machine learns from you. AI is going to be solving new problems, meaning looking at, let's say, protein problems and figure out where else can we use a particular thing and learns on its own. So that's really general, the, the strong AI phase two. Uh, by the way, that's going to happen end of the decade, if not faster. Uh, and then the third phase of AI is what's called superhuman. 
this is technology that is going to learn on its own, that's going to be much smarter than human beings. And the consensus is that's probably going to happen towards the end of the century, maybe 2070, 2080, which there are parts of me is thinking, I'm glad I'm not going to be around for that. Yeah. Right? Because the impact Terminator. is amazing. <laughs> I have... I, you know, I raised this with somebody who's much smarter than me and saying, well, should we worry, be worried about AI? He's saying, no, it's not like humans don't worry about what ants think, right? We, it's too small. Technology is going to be so massive that it won't even worry what humans think and feel. It'll just design a spaceship. It'll launch it to planets. And it will not even ask for permission to do it. And that's a bit scary. Yes, I'm, I'm moving more back to the doom category now, right? Right, it's it's, it's so weird. It's super and, AI, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and none of us talked about this a year ago. It was last November, but uh, so so I, I answered the question. What I'm hearing, and but you talk to people all the time about your yeah. product, about this topic in general. What are you hearing from the industry when you when you have a conversation with a client? Right. I mean, I I think there's both excitement and anxiety. Right. I think starting on anxiety and you were there at that case session around what policies need to be put in place right. to actually govern what we can do with AI. Right. So to make sure that fundraisers and alumni engagement professionals stay within the, 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 the fenced yard, don't use it for X because it's risky, even though it may feel good. So there's that element uh, from an from excitement perspective. It is you can scale, you can do a lot more with AI if you use it smartly. Uh, and from a leader perspective, it's like, you know, hey, how do I tell my team what they can and cannot do? Uh, I think there's there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And the other part is also, we all use AI a buzzword right now. So there, there probably should be some caution around what AI really is yeah. and the benefits it drives, right? Because yeah, it's it's easy for anybody to say we we are AI. Here's what we're gonna do, and uh, let's make the world better. It's it's not that simple. Uh, the thing that I often tell uh, to individuals saying think about ways to do uh, things you already do faster and better in a scale that you previously didn't think was possible, and that's what AI that's what AI does. Yeah, I th yeah, I find it like um, the, its ability to create starter language. You know, right. as Chris, you referenced that earlier, right? Is, you know, when you're stuck and you have writer's block, you know, it's really interesting, sort of a total side note here, which is the writer's strike, you know, in, in Hollywood, <laughs> right? And, and, but it's very much connected because, you know, this type of creativity, that exact thing, right? That ability to come up with ideas and not rely on technology to sort of come up with these scenarios or, or language, right? I mean, it's, all of a sudden it starts to make more sense when you're using AI as this kind of starter content aid, you know, how there would be a real problem uh, for those folks who are in the arts. Yeah, and that's that's actually from an from an advancement and alumni engagement perspective, you will have to pay attention that your constituents are going through a tremendous shift in what they do and how they do it, right? When you hear interviews with writers and they're certainly worried about AI is gonna replace their job, it is going to happen. Uh, but that doesn't mean that humans in movies will ever go away. Like stage acting will always be there, right? The human perspective of AI would never be replaced. But we have to be comfortable that we're going to be using these agents in nearly every facet of our lives. Uh, and I'll give you a really interesting statistic that I'm actually highlighting often is 40% of code on GitHub, which is the storage box of code on the internet, 
is AI generated. So right when AI writes code and eventually writes better computer code than any human can ever do, what does that do to computer science education and you know what institutions teach? And I that is really for me, you know, beyond alumni advancement, I think the biggest challenge that higher education is going to have to move faster and adopt technologies faster than ever before, because it's no longer a 10-year journey where we go from server-based to cloud-based computing. It'll change year over year. Uh, and that's, that's very, very frightening. Shuman, I'm just trying to get Chris Marshall to use like the <laughs> online version of Microsoft Office. <laughs> right? It's, it, it, it is amazing. And uh, kids go <laughs> off with it. Uh, These young kids, Max, they just want change all the time. New tech. I can't keep yeah. up. Yeah, it is. Real quick, uh, Ryan, before you go next, just a shout out to Jesse Phil from Carnegie Mellon, Matt from Binghamton, Shana. Good to see you on there, Barney and Diana. Thanks for joining. Somebody throw in a question for Max. There's got to be something we can take from the audience here. Well, in the meantime, you know, Max, the the idea of Protopia, I've always loved because it's really a human oriented, a human focused method to be thinking about AI, right? You're not plugging in like for it's not a starter aid in the same sense right it's very different in the way we think about ai and we're going to talk more about it of course but i wanted to sort of ask whether or not it's been difficult for you and for protopia over the last several years to try to introduce you know this solution that's powered by ai into the ecosystem uh, i know the answer to that question yes. already but i but i'd love to hear you discuss that well so it is uh for us as and you know this you've you've got to escape where the puck is going to be right so we we know the puck is going to be there because the advantage of using ai in this space is just too big but in high education change takes time right because you have to work with constituents there's academic years so Find the right institutions that understand the opportunity, that are innovators, that have the right relations across campus is work. Uh, and it is, you know, it's not risk-free for those institutions. So, and especially when you look at something that we do where it's a step function of engagement. It's not like, oh, we are X plus one, right? We, I believe we have gone, my rescue puppy, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. We have gone from X to Y, Right. It's it's a different paradigm around engagement and it creates confusion sometimes. You have to have a conversation around it no longer works like this. This is what I sometimes call you and I right talk about this all right uh, all the time. For me, the first iteration of alumni engagement were online directories, technologies, right? We all love directories, we can sign them. The second wave was platforms, networks where you go and there's more interactivity, the Facebook, LinkedIn kind of experience. And the way I think about what we do is that third wave, right? Is technology ready to provide a different experience at a scale that previously most institutions didn't think was possible? So it is, the, the other way I describe it, if you have read the book Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, an amazing book, we are on that right side of the chasm, finding institutions that are saying, okay, we really want to elevate engagement uh, to a much broader scale. Well, let's get into it just a little bit, Max, for those yeah. who are unfamiliar with Protopia, but who might watch this and are thinking about AI. You know, can you sort of share a bit more about what it is and how it can help? Sure. Yeah. So think of a way that we use AI to generate fundraiser leads. So the outcome we really do is 
create new conversations between the institutions and unengaged and underengaged prospects, so alumni and donors. And we do this in a way that we generate together with stakeholders on campus needs, questions, questions from prospective students, current students. Hey, I'm looking to open a door at General Motors in a marketing department. Uh, we know we've got alumni that work in General Motors at marketing. We take that with AI, mine the institution's data to find the best individual in marketing at General Motors. But then we also say, if there's 100 people that fit that profile, which ones of those are major gift prospects, lapse prospects that you want to work on? And so that is ultimately what we do at scale using these machine learning algorithm so that we connect students, alumni to help each other, but also create relationships between those individuals that you really, really want to bring back without much work. Do you have a favorite example of, um, you know, oh, that's like my, think of my favorite, it's not thinking my favorite child. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's really, really hard. We have, we have stories every day where, uh, and there, there's actually one, one of the elements that we really care about is first gen low income students. When you think about social capital, not a lot of students grow up in households where networking is really the staple. And, uh, we make it easy for someone to just raise their hand saying, I don't have access to a network. There was one at a very large school. All my friends get jobs via their, their connections and families. I don't have anybody who can help me get a shadowing experience as a nurse graduate student. And we were able to help that individual get multiple connections among the alumni base. Wow. And then if you think about this, finding those people to saying they are also future donors. Because I mean, as you guys know, when a donor, a, a prospective donor helps and makes an impact, that is the most impactful experience that makes that individual feel good that a fundraiser needs to capitalize on. Yep. But it's just one of one of one of many out there. Yeah. And I knew that was going to be hard to pick because I've you know, yeah, there's totally. lots of it. For those folks who want to see the examples, there there's the Protopia websites littered with them. So right. Um well, Max, Protopia obviously is a unique approach. There are other technologies out in the space that are in the same genre of solutions, or would you say sort of fundamentally like Protopia is different than a network platform? Does it work with network platforms? Is it meant to be, you know, a replacement for network platforms? What do you see? So for me, Protopia, oper Protopia operates at the top of the funnel from an engagement perspective, right? Networking platforms, from my perspective, what I've heard in the industry is are typically for those already engaged, the 5 to 7% that come back, they're excited, and they want to have relationships online with other alumni. For us, it's more sitting at the top of the funnel that the 60 to 70%, the unengaged, the underengaged, you're really busy constituents that you want to bring back and activate. So... We coexist with many platforms. There's some great platforms out there, right? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to name names. They have built amazing features, provide very interactive experiences. Our job is to bring those people back that are just busy, right? Recent graduates and or even the 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 dark side of the moon that I that you and I often talk about, the 30s, the 40s, busy with their careers and their families. We make them feel good. We help you rediscover the institution so that they eventually use the networking platform. So I, yeah. I look at it a little bit different. I don't know how you guys think about this, but it is something I often have to explain to advancement alumni leaders saying, this does not replace anything. 
you already have. It solves a problem you didn't think was solvable. Yeah. I have absolutely been really excited to see the way in which Protopia, when it's integrated into university, full across the campus strategy, the way that it's able to help solve engagement problems. There's, we do have a question that's popped up in the in the chat, uh, Max. I thought I would ask it from John, and he's he's asking about okay. prospect research offices, and so this is kind of actually a little bit into slightly what we do, but a little bit different in terms of researching an individual for wealth screenings and things of that nature. Right? Do you think the question is, do we think could AI be used to comb the web to track down alumni data uh, to arm prospect research offices? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, there are some solutions already out there. If you look yep. at people.ai, they do an amazing job. This goes into an area where you've got to be careful finding data and bringing the data back, right? If you think about GDPR or the tight regulations in Canada and UK, uh, simply because it's possible doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, I think you've got to find the balance of letting individuals opt in to participating and things like that, saying, hey, you can use my data. But I'm going back to, again, the case session. And Armin had a great, great con uh, comment that really stuck with me. Advancement already has solved the toughest problem of AI. It has amazing data. Not always super right, uh, but it has the data that it can use. So there are innovative approaches to make the data right, but I would be careful and where the data comes from, to be honest. And validating that data. Once it comes in, doesn't mean it's the right person you're putting that contact information up against. That's the other piece to right. critical. Yeah, it is really trickle, right? And the other part is also all of us are super anxious now where our data ends up, right? There, right. There's right. a lot of legislation, disclosures, water marketing, chat GPT is going to be a big thing. So that's a rapidly shifting field. That's really interesting. Having done, we talked about this on the Protopia webinars at the very end, how, you know, really all of our data, at least as Americans, is available. It's already been acquired by companies. Right. And now it's just sitting in a big pool of data that can be sliced and diced and presented in different ways. Yeah. And companies are sort of grabbing all of our data and using it, you know, and for, for different ways. It's just sort of a really interesting fact of life, I think, is that uh, we had a former, you know, Protopia employee who, who really did not want to leave a digital footprint whenever possible, you know? And I think about yeah. the, why that might be, and I'm sort of over, you know, maybe overthinking it, but it is sort of an interesting world we live in now where all of our data and information is readily available. Max, a question there from the chat from Teresa on where AI is showing the most promise. Obviously, Protopia is, we'll talk more about uh, AI and the promise with Protopia's uh, technology solution in the bonus section, but where in other areas do you think some of the promise is? Yeah, so uh, one thing that really impressed me recently is uh, at, at the case conference, I think Brent from Evertrue showed uh, prospect research, right? Where you use smart technology to collate information that you already have and you make uh, the fundraiser much more efficient by summarizing information saying, here's your dossier, you're about to get on a call, right? Using that data and using agents to pull that together, I think that's a great application. Uh, personally, I'm a little nervous about using ChatGPT for fundraising emails and proposals. Great baseline, right? Maybe there's some logic that basically says, no, I will not let you send it unless you actually modify it. Uh, and then it's it's a data side, right? Uh, aggregating data, but being clear on the disclosure sites towards your prospects. 
here's where we got your data. Here's why we know these particular things that is important, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I like I like what Brent showed there. Patrick asked this interesting question in the chat about how do we avoid this homogenization of yeah. the tone, right? Because when you use chat GPT, it definitely gives you back language that all feels kind of the same and, and presents it in kind of similar ways. So I think, you know, I wonder, do you think we'll just get used to that? Or do you think we'll crave that originality that human oh. voice requires? Like, as long I'll as the information that we're yeah. getting to the to is is good, is strong, does it matter what the tone of the voice is? How do you feel about it? So, from my perspective, and I'd love to see what you guys think. I think amazing frontline fundraisers are going to lean more on human tools. That's going to differentiate those individuals that still write thank you notes, going to make calls, and go through the extra effort. Because if anybody can be a fundraiser, nobody's a fundraiser, right? And I can tell you, all of us are going to be a lot more sensitive towards any kind of email communication we're getting, any kind of communication we're getting, the mail, phone calls. I don't know about you. I don't even answer the phone anymore. And what you're experiencing now, it's going to be five times as bad in just five years. So if you're a good fundraiser, if I'm in charge of an advancement team, I would buy a bunch of thank you notes and really bring someone on board that focuses on human relationships. Human to human, face to face. I totally agree, Max. I got a handwritten thank you note the other day. Yeah. And, and it made my day. It just somebody took the time to write in their own <laughs> own cursive language. <laughs> yeah. And it will become even, I suppose, even more of a rarity, right? Yes. When you get those real human touches. Someone wrote something. Yeah. Right. Like with ink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that I think will matter to people. Uh, but yes. for how long, you know, will this the generation, my son's generation, who won't <laughs> have to care about grammar, you know, will they care about? handwritten notes. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. It, it would definitely be interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great conversation. I hope everyone who joined us uh, really had a good, I feel like there's so many more conversations yeah. to have about AI. And we're only, like you said, just, just beginning this conversation in the space, but we got to start somewhere. And uh, so we'll pick up the conversation about uh, AI and its place in advancement, as well as talk some more about Protopia in the bonus section uh, that you can pick up on the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Uh, maybe not your favorite, but the main ones anyway, you can be able to find it. Spotify, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, and we are going to have Annie Quaddy from UTEP, uh, Associate Vice President, Alumni and Donor Engagement next Friday. Uh, and that should be great. Looking forward to having Annie on the show. Shout out back to Barney. We'll answer your question in the chat in the bonus section. You got to tune in for that. Got to pick up the podcast, Barney. All right. <laughs> Thanks for Thank joining you, us. For, uh, for Max and Chris, I'm Ryan, and we'll see you again in a week. Bye. Thank you. Hey, Chris. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference together in New York City, and everyone was buzzing about how AI is going to play a role in shaping the future of advancement. Yeah, it's it was the clear theme of the conference and on everyone's mind. And when I'm at a conference like that, I do my best to talk to everybody I possibly can and hear what they're thinking. Everyone I, I talked to, and I had a list of 53 people I ended up bumping into or meeting with, AI was on everyone's mind. It was definitely interesting to hear the conversation about AI level up recently with chat GPT coming into the news. Because actually, we've been talking about AI and machine learning with Max and the team at Protopia for the last few years now. Yeah, well, you know, when I looked at Protopia a couple of years ago, I was blown away by what it, was, it seemed like a huge leap forward in technology and how we engage with our alums and connect them with our students and our donors. 
Um, it, I think it's also a great lead generation tool. I've been recommending it to my clients now for a couple of years, and it, it's a solution that should be investigated by everyone for sure. And I tell my, I try to stay agnostic, but I tell my clients, make sure you look at Protopia. It's transforming the way we think about and how we measure alumni engagement. And already that's why leaders at schools like Denison, LSE, Duke, Pitt, VCU, Florida State, and others have partnered with Protopia to use the power of AI to help students and alumni connect with each other. And we are psyched to have Protopia as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, to me, to me, it's a no-brainer. If I were leading an alumni relations shop today, it would be one of the first things I would do would be to install this technology and have it connect our alums to each other and to our students. We recommend all alumless listeners head over to protopia.co forward slash alumless. That's P-R-O-T-O-P-I-A dot C-O forward slash A-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and schedule a time to chat with the Protopia team. They'll be happy to talk shop for a few minutes and share more about their exciting AI powered technology. All right, we are back in the bonus section of Alumless. Thanks for picking up the podcast. Here, continuing the conversation with Max Leiston, founder and CEO of Protopia. Max, great to have you. You know, I've had an inside look at Protopia over the last couple of years. It's really been one of my uh, favorite professional experiences to work in a startup environment and to have a sense of what it's like. And um, one of the things I've been most impressed with is you are a man who can do many, many things. Uh, your, your technical skills and your marketing skills and your you know people skills. And I think you really have to have that type of a uh, sort of suite of capabilities to lead a, a technology company in our world. But um, and one of the questions that we were sort of finishing on was around, have you been finding it easier to get the attention of individuals who are interested in AI, and uh, you know, and as I was sort of your thoughts on the you know, the building of the company, the branding around AI, and and introducing AI into the it's been difficult, right? I mean, it's been a really challenging thing, despite you know, sort of having a good sense of how to lead this company forward. Yeah, I mean, it's all by necessity, as you have seen, right? Sometimes you're the only person that can really jump and do things. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I love hearing this saying, it's been interesting to watch it. You know, there are highs and lows on that particular side. But has it become easier? The answer is yes. Uh, so we are getting a lot more, hey, we've got a mandate from our leader, from president, from the institution, we've got to do AI, right? A lot of schools have to focus on AI education, uh, so there's some great AI schools out there. And they're, of course, now wondering how can we use AI and showcase our AI leadership even through the tools that we use. So it's gotten a little easier. Uh, full disclosure, this is actually how some of the conversations at Duke started, where there was, hey, we've, we want to focus on AI. How can we use it? And that drove the conversation. Uh, but it's also a challenge, right? Because AI is so nebulous. There is really no one tool that you can point to like Salesforce or CRM where it's very clear what it does because, uh, because nobody knows. It's very easy for all of us to interpret what it does. And so our conversations is, yes, we use AI, but 
focus on the benefit first. You should never buy a tool because it's AI. You should buy a tool because the benefit you're getting is very clear. You can do more of X faster Y and you save your team Z time. And I think those are the benefits. And, you know, I, I think within five years, we're going to stop talking about AI, kind of how we stop talking about cloud computing, right? When everybody said, oh, my God, my data is in the cloud. Of course, your data is in the cloud now. And in about five years, of course, you're going to use AI uh, because as a software vendor, you have to use AI because it makes it so much smarter. And, you know, a lot of the applications could be coded with AI. And, you know, you not, not have 20, 30, 50 software engineers. You're just going to use it. So there is wind in our sails, but it's still difficult conversations because, you know, the uncertainty around there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the conversations that's been most interesting to sort of observe as I've been working with you around Protopia and then, of course, working with Chris and Washburn and having conversations with alumni leaders is the idea of mentoring is a, a topic that is just university presidents, senior leadership want to scale mentoring, right? Oh. They want to develop these different uh, programs and, and provide, because it's about ROI on the college experience, right? You, they know that in order for students to graduate with jobs and internships, they that mentoring, that alumni can help with that. And so for the last you know decade or more, the industry has really kind of tried to develop technology to solve the, the challenge of mentoring. Uh, is is Pro Protopia a mentoring tool? Is it is it you know fair to put it in the camp of the, the people groves or the graduates or the hybrids or that the technology you know that's designed to scale mentoring or is it something entirely different? I mean of course I'm gonna say it's different, right? But let me let me uh, th there was a one uh, alumni engagement leader that recently said and this was I think it was Allison at Wake Forest, maybe about six months ago, where she said, mentoring at scale doesn't really work, right? Because uh, number one is uh, there are some students, alumni, that absolutely love mentoring, but most of us, I don't know about you, are worried about mentoring because it's such a time commitment, right? They said, I don't, I don't have time to be a mentor. I don't have time to be scheduled to do these things. And when you're dealing with really busy constituents, I think by and large, alumni are kind of, shying away from being part of such a prescriptive program and the other the other thing i often hear is that students you know we're all transactional uh and it's going to get worse and worse they want immediate gratification few students really understand the the return on the investment or mentoring that they get out so they're just looking for immediate feedback i need help with x uh and i'll leave you uh there was an individual that I worked with early on at NC State who said, listen, mentoring is just the end of a journey built on trust that you built. You cannot force it. It's relationships. It's networking. If you are at a point where you can call that person a mentor, that's an outcome. That's not where you start a journey. That's always really resonated with me. Mm. Uh, and that's, so that's how I look at it, right? We connect people at scale. Sometimes there's a spark. Other times there's not, and that is okay, right? I don't know what your batting average is, but maybe one out of 10 relationships that you start ends up being mentoring, and we should be fine with that. You can't prescribe it. Yeah, I think that that's definitely true, that mentoring relationships happen naturally over time. They are an outcome. And as a guy who ran a merged alumni and career center shop, you know, I never had a student ask for a mentor. 
You know, it's yeah. just wasn't a thing. They wanted a job or an internship. And I knew how I could potentially talk about mentoring in that framework. But that wasn't the word I ever wanted to use to describe yeah. what they ought to be doing or thinking about in order to make connections, right? They And develop um, a, a large number of relationships that might hopefully result in open doors down the line, right? Not necessarily a mentor, maybe a mentor, but that wasn't the goal. Right. right. Chris, I, I just wanted to throw this one over to you because, you know, you, you consult with lots of universities, alumni, uh, leaders, presidents, right, often have mentoring on their minds. We, we've, I can think of a couple of scenarios where you and I have been just recently where there's a university, university-wide mandate. It's in the strategic plan, right, to, to give mentoring for all. Mentor, right? <laughs> mentoring for all and for all a good night, you know, and so... <laughs> Um, so what's your opinion on sort of university-led mentoring programs and, and under what circumstances are they typically successful? Yeah, highly aligned with what both of you just said. The, um, t- there are some institutions that, you know, when you get into the career area, they, they don't even say, they call it the M word because it's like a curse word. <laughs> they don't want to go there. Um, and, and, and in my mind, there's the continuum. Another continuum I often use in extremes in this is that there is the mentorship, which is like a marriage. Long term, you're with that person. It's a relationship that you've built and it's the outcome. But I think what more people are looking for is the date, right? Not just the marriage. They want the date. They want to go and ask somebody a question about how did you get where you are today? I, I used to tell people this all the time. If, if you went to a group of alumni and said, how many of you are willing to be a mentor? You'd get some action. Some hands would go up and but if you went to a group of students and said, how many of you want to mentor, you get crickets. There'd be no response. But if you said to the alumni, how many of you would be willing to talk to a student about your career path and how you got to where you are today, they'd all raise their hand. And if you said to a student, how many of you would like to talk to an alum who's doing what you want to do in the future, they'd all raise their hand. Is that mentorship? I don't think it is. I, I think it's a different word. What the right word is, I don't know. But it's the date version of it. It's the quick hour. It's the answer to the question through a platform like this that's going to get us there. So uh, to do it at scale, I think it's impossible. The ones I've seen work best are where you take a segmented group of your alumni population. I saw one experiment done with a group of trustees who were paired with a mentor to create a mentorship role with a group of student leaders. So these are your top students and your top alums matched up together. And several, it was more than one out of 10, Max. It was, it was like half of them developed into longer-term relationships because of the nature of their interest in the place, right? They both had that common bond. Um, so I think those are the kinds of things that will work. But again, to say for an entire student population, by your sophomore year, every student's going to have an alum as a mentor. Maybe yeah. it's an advisor or a coach or some other word, but it doesn't feel that doesn't feel right to me. That's even possible. That's where I. Am. And I just want to say, by the way, Protopia is not a dating app. So let's. Uh, I, I, I do know that. <laughs> We're not a dating app. <laughs> Swipe right, right? Swipe right. Uh, swipe right. There's no swiping right in Protopia. Right. Uh, but so, Chris, I wanted to sort of ask you sort of what is your thought about Protopia's unique approach? I mean, you and I have been talking about it and it's we've had numerous conversations over the last few years. Yeah, you know, but back before all this was even possible in, in the second wave is the platforms that were out there now, as Max described earlier. You know, there are people like, like here's a good I'm, I'm a good example. I was a collegiate coach for 12 years. And I would have athletes come to me and say, hey, you know, I really want to work at, in this location, at this place, for this company, whatever it was. And I would have, my database would go, okay, I know somebody who does that. And they swam here at Lehigh in the, my case. Or they're a Lehigh alum and I met them for some other way. So I would make those connections. 
and it would work. It would be possible. So what, what? So that's just me in a very you know low low tech version of it, an analog version of it. And what Protopia does is scale that at a very high tech. Well, the other thing here's what I love about it: one, it's light. There's no heavy lift to integrate all the stuff together. You don't have to get your tech department involved in all the work. It, there's a data download that happens. I get that, but it's a light integration, as I'd put it. It's highly effective at making matches with people based on data we have. And, and relatively speaking, it's good data. We all think our data is terrible in our databases, but relatively speaking, we have pretty good data. Um, and and, it, and so the effectivity, it's very effective is my second point. And then the, the third point I'll make, though, is, is like any other platform, I think, out there, it still needs tending. You can't just plug it in and walk away and think magic's going to happen. You need somebody there to make sure they're tending that garden and, and, and facilitating those connections in some way and following up with the connections that happen. That's an opportunity to, to cultivate and steward a potential uh, engaged alum or even better, a potential donor. So I think those are the three pieces that come to my mind right away. You receive an email to your inbox says, hey, do you have five minutes to help a fellow spider in my case, right? If Richmond right. had it. I'm, and I'm like, you know what? I'm watching TV. I've got my phone in front of me. It's nine o'clock at night. I've got half an hour before bed. Absolutely. I could respond to this young student or recent graduate couple of minutes, hit submit. I feel good about myself going to bed. The university feels good that one of their donors had uh, a positive impact with a student. Right. And, you know, I didn't have to sign up for thing, anything and neither did the student. Right. And we all everyone and the student gets their that. answer. Right. The student has help. The student gets the answer to the question. Answer. Right. From someone who's been out of college for two, 20 years now. So, you know, I think uh, we talk, Max, about Protopia being humanized. And I think we're getting at the way in which the technology, the AI is, is going to scale introductions. Mm -hmm. right? It's going to scale connections between actual people, not between person and content, which I think is a really sort of a different sort of a use of AI that is even quite a bit different than the other uses that we are the way that we think of it, which yeah, so now, makes, now, sometimes I get the question saying, are you know, are you a chatbot, right? Uh, how do you make sure the answers are right? And that's really not the point of it. And I, there's amazing chatbots out there, but we don't want to be a chatbot. We want to spark relationships. Uh, so, you know, that's really the part of it from an AI perspective, enable human relationship building at large scale and make it frictionless. That's really what we want to do. We would never be a chatbot uh, again. The other part is sometimes I get the question around, hey, how do you make sure the answer is right or the question is good? It's really not about that. The, the response and the student alum engaging is basically just a Trojan horse. Uh, if you want the right answer, go to Google, right? Or go to ChatGPT4. It'll tell you the right answer. This is one perspective from one alum that you need to follow up on if you feel like there's something that you can build on in an individual you want to build a relationship with. That's how we have to look at it. And that's really for us what we want to do. We want to build relationships. I don't have to thank Chat GPT for its help. You don't. <laughs> but we need, but we part of what we do is we coach students to say thank you yes. when they get help. Right. And I think that's a really part of the human process that is some maybe overlooked, right? When it right. comes to how we look for help. Uh, but Max, have, what what Protopia partners? What are they doing that makes their integration of the technology successful? Like, what have you seen? Say the company, the schools that we partner with that are doing the partnership the best. What are they doing? Yeah. So uh, the things that have to be in place for an institution to really get success out of Protopia is number one: they should probably be an integrated shop. 
They should have an alumni shop that supports philanthropy with everything that they do and work closely with their partners across the aisle. Because alumni engagement is all about, again, engaging alum for them to come back, the right ones, so that you support the fundraising element, right? Uh, that's number one. Number two is campus partnerships. So, uh, and by the way, on the integrated side, I, I highlight Duke and LSE. They do an amazing job really very focused on philanthropy. From a partnership perspective, that's really a second success criteria. Are you speaking to your colleagues at career services? Are you speaking to admissions, the, fac the faculty side, academic advisors? Because when you pull on one string, amazing things can happen. I, I want to give a shout out to Billy Handa at Denison. That team has done an amazing job. Like when they started with Protopia, I think there were 10 people on the call. And it was immediately clear that they all understand they want to work together and they want to deliver success. In fact, I spoke with Melanie at Denison earlier this week, and she said, you know, we, we kind of spoke with our alumni team, and that was great, but we are actually closer now because we have one project and one solution to work on where everybody gets benefit, and that, that was fantastic. And then number three, you have to be innovative. Typically, either you've tried everything there is, you've got technologies, you're curious on how you drive that next engagement um, and you pay attention to AI and you're not afraid to take a risk and try something else, uh, right? Nobody ever get fired for hiring IBM. We're not IBM. We have amazing partnerships that have shown what we can do. And if those are the results that you want, then talk to us. I want to take it up a different, to a just slightly different level, but thinking yeah. about... Um, I was a little bit involved in this. I spent a couple of years with a tech company, a little beyond the startup phase, but what is it like to run, launch and run a tech startup at the stage you're in? And how would you describe what stage you're in as well? So I, I could tell you when anybody ever asked me about startups, I'm saying run while you can, right? Go get a corporate job because- Run away, you meant? Or run, run, away. <laughs> run, run away, yes, no, exactly. Run away, it is- it is, if you don't really believe in what you do, you don't have that total passion for impact and the resilience, you're not going to succeed, right? High education tends to move a little slower. They are more risk averse. You're going to get a lot of no's or not right now. And you have to be able to absorb those punches and be so convinced and in, you know, ingest the feedback you get from the market that what you're doing is absolutely the right thing because without that true north of here's what we want to do, you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to do it uh, because it, it's hard, right? I mean, I know edtech founders, we've gone through accelerators, and uh, most companies fold. They absolutely fold because it's mentally hard, it's technically and physically hard. Uh, but for us, is I mean, you know, I I would be remiss not to mention the team. Uh, if you've got the right people around you, you bring them on board, and they share that belief and that vision and the focus, that'll sustain you. Because you're not on your own, right? Everybody says it is the right way. You've got early customers that absolutely support you, right? I want to give a shout out to the Duke team. Uh, that has made a huge difference. What's Is there a one thing that you would want advancement leaders to know about Protopia that would help make this? It, it, there's a buying decision, of course, in here, but right. it's an investigation decision early on. Does it fit? What I tell clients all the time is, you, when they ask me, would you recommend product X? I always ask them back, what problem are you trying to solve? 
that's the more important question. So we get to the point where they are solving this problem or want to address this question. What's the one thing you want them to know about Protopia? Well, I, I would start going back to the case conference again, right? Armin made a statement during the presentation basically saying, we've got an activity crisis in higher education. If you have an activity crisis at your institution, we solve this. And we do it with very little work using the power of artificial intelligence to bring back donors and alumni that, that frankly, most of them can't wait to make an impact and making it simple and easy so that we create relationships, better relationships between the institutions and that donor and between the alumni and students. Uh, technology is ready, uh, but it, it's an activity crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think, you know, along the way, Chris, I've learned the last couple of years that creating a volunteer engagement pipeline is perhaps the most important thing on the engagement side of the house. So we, there must Hallelujah. be a way to scale up the number of volunteers, the number of helpers amongst the alumni and donor population, because we know, we know that if what helpers give at a much higher rate, than do those who are just engaging with communications or that are just coming to our events, even though we know that those folks are coming, uh, are giving more too, right, than the, the unengaged. And so with, you know, client after client in the consulting space, they're, they're all after this challenge, right? They're all chasing the challenge of, of, of volunteer pipeline development, of moving people along a funnel of a, a continuum and, and passing those leads on to the development team for further cultivation, right? And I think one of the things I love about Protopia is how, you know, even particularly for the donor experience teams out there who are, are tasked with like a thousand person portfolios, right, right? What Protopia does is when the, one of those one of those individuals is looking at the record of a of a leadership annual giving donor, they say, oh, you know, I saw that you had this great experience and. It really provides fuel for future engagement, right? Lead generations, uh, and not just for the central team, but for campus partners who are looking to build cohorts of volunteers for their colleges, right? Deans are trying to build a scale volunteerism across the university. Uh, so that's my soapbox on, on let me, let me why I think for is important. And the, my, my understanding of the tool is that one of the problems with asking alums who wants to be a mentor, who's willing to talk to a student, even you get a lot of hands will go up, but seldom do those hands get called on. And you have these people who feel like they volunteered and no one's, no one's taking them up on it. Your platform, Max, uh, I hope I'm right on this, <laughs> um, uh, will allow you to select. So if one of those hands that are up is a major donor, you want to make sure they have the interaction. You can make sure that person's getting getting called on, basically. That, that, that is correct. And I, I love what you said, Chris, that uh, the, the challenge you have with platforms in general is that people sign up and they expect engagement that can actually backfire. Exactly. Who exactly. doesn't reach out, right? There was one institution that basically said, I love what you do because I've got a pig farmer with incredible high net worth and nobody ever reaches out to that pig farmer. <laughs> How can I get that pig farmer excited because they're ready to make a gift? For us, is we understand which donors, alumni you want to activate, you want to have an amazing experience. Yeah. The AI targets them and engages them and makes them feel amazing at a very large scale, right? So whether those are lapsed major gift donors or you've got an annual giving day coming up, you want to get those lags excited, our AI will send them volunteer opportunities and then tells your frontline fundraisers, you've got to reach out. Chris just provided a great answer. Thank him because 
that is incredibly rewarding for him. It's hard to imagine a student asking a question about pig farming. <laughs> However, you're an you imagine to get those. You could imagine a student asking about you know a business question, yeah. right? About entrepreneurism, right? Or something that would still be relevant to those folks that you know don't necessarily have the job at the sexy brand, right? That don't always get reached out to. I think that's one of the advantages of Protopia too. Is this often a select group of alumni who work at recognizable brands often get the outreach from students, but uh, this is a more this is a more accessible way to sort of scale up those touch points uh, with folks who are really smart, but don't work for Apple, you know? Right. And then the, the AI makes the choice on who to engage, right? And it's simple for students saying, listen, you don't have to worry about go to a big directory and find the right alum that responds and then worry whether the alum is actually going to respond to you. But the AI is that black box saying, we're going to get your response with someone that is incredibly relevant. We just happen to lose. We just happen to let advancement choose who that person is. So it's a win-win, right? Yeah. Advancement, you don't have to ask advancement. Here's the other part I often hear is faculty and staff is nervous about reaching out to alum because they're not quite sure if that individual is a major gift prospect, right? So I'm going to go with money alum. The AI actually engages those alum with advancements buy-in because we know the goals of the team. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to our Friday cheers section as we kind yes. of come to the conclusion of our episode with you, Max. It's been a good one. Uh, um, no, I, when I came up with a Friday cheers idea, it was all about sort of ending our episodes with different thoughts around the things that are important to us and stuff that's sort of still in the professional space, largely not necessarily politics or religion, right. But things that we're thinking about that are meaningful for us. And we might be discussing with them on a Friday afternoon over adult beverages with our colleagues. Uh, so I'll let you lead off. What is your, your Friday cheers for this week? Uh, so my cheer is actually a story that recently was shared with me from Carrie at LSE. And it is a startup from an LSE alum in India that lets Indian women primarily train AI data uh, on their specific language. And they've developed a model where that AI training is very simple, translating English into their native language and rewards them for this via micropayments, right? Really uplifting the community. And also exploring a business model where they continue to benefit from this as that model gets sold more, right? I was just really inspired by this when somebody thought, hey, we will drive AI technology, but we're also going to drive economic development and uplifting the community. That was just, that was just an amazing story. It's in, in Time, in Time Magazine, I think the latest issue. Uh, I want to see more of that. Yeah. Carrie Jones and the team at LSE are, are great partners and they've got so much good stuff going on over there. Yeah. Chris, what is your Friday cheer, sir? Mine is flow. I called it flow. This is the, um, the other people have referred to it as get in the zone. It's often translated in athletic terms. You see somebody who gets into a zone athletically. The, the reason this is relevant for me right now is that the uh, I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Philadelphia Phillies fan and a Phillies pitcher two days ago threw a no hitter. And he was he was in the zone. It was this magical moment that just something happened, and 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 all those all the cylinders clicked the right way, and boom, this amazing athletic achievement in that case. But I've seen it in other contexts. I've, I've had it when I've been writing reports, for example, where you just kind of everything else goes away, and you just focus on that only. When you just feel this other outer world, outer body experience kind of things. So I've always been amazed by human performance uh, as a coach. Athletics, of course, I've seen it. 
Um, but uh, to me, when I see those things happen, it reminds me of the of the, of those moments that we all have had in our lives. Hopefully, everyone's experienced it. But um, when you see them happen, it's really a special thing. So flow and in the zone is mine. I, I think I have a link to an article about the yeah. flow. Yeah, that that's a good one. And I you think I think I saw a statistic that it was like the fourteenth ever. Phillies, For a Philadelphia Phillies, no pitcher, hitter. Yeah, yeah, and you think about 162 games per season. Yep. And you know the Phillies have been an organization. I don't know. 1883. Years. Yeah, I mean, geez, it's been. I don't even know. It's a long, long it's time. Track. It's an extraordinary, like, rare accomplishment that takes many years between happening. And yeah, the getting in the flow is that's a good that's a i don't get in the flow enough i need to is there is there a way to research how to get in the flow more There's, often that article right? touches on it and gives you links to other Does places it? yeah there we go Beautiful. i need more flow yeah <laughs> uh well my friday cheers is back into the higher education space i was looking for some good um, up, you know, there's a lot of criticism of higher ed, I think. And I was looking for some really good news about what we're doing right as an industry or as a society. And I found this great article from Colorado, uh, the CBS affiliate there that talks about how the state had expanded higher education programming for, uh, young people with, uh, disabilities. And it talks about a nonprofit in Colorado called in pathways, that um, lobbied the state legislature, got four schools in the state to create these programs that would be for those special needs students to give them these really um, rewarding educational experiences that resulted, I think it said 80 students went through these programs successfully. Many of them had jobs after they graduated and um, you know they're expanding the program out to Love more it. universities. And I thought that was great. And I Googled, you know, is there a similar program in Virginia here where I live? There's an organization called Virginia Family Special Education Connection. I, I would be willing to wager in most states. There are, there are nonprofits doing the good work uh, of providing opportunity through uh, philanthropy to help students with special needs attend college in some ways. And uh, I thought that was a, a great uh, a great article. It made me sort of uh, feel good about our space on a Friday afternoon, right? Makes my no hitter feel pale in comparison to that really altruistic story. <laughs> you want to take it back? <laughs> I'm going to go back. With, I'm going to come up with a really something good next time. <laughs> we'll end on, you can have a sappy note to end on next episode. That right. sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, well, Max, uh, great to have you. Thanks again for your partnership with Protopia sponsoring alumnus. We're grateful that uh, you're a part of our team and we're excited to see what Protopia does over the coming months. I know about all the great conversations we're having with universities and I encourage uh, those who are thinking about Protopia listening to this to head over to the Protopia website, use the uh, URL for alumless forward slash A-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and fill out the inquiry form there. That way we get attribution for it here on Pro on, on the Alum West podcast. And then Max will think about investing us further in the future, right? Excellent. Well, thank you, Chris and Ryan. This was amazing. I really yeah. appreciate it. And thank you for what you do every every other week. This this is a great conversation. I appreciate it, Max. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Chris, good, good to see you. Have you a too. good weekend. And thanks again, listeners, for picking up Alum West. We'll see you again in a week with Annie Quaddy from UTEP. So long. Take care. Bye.